wellness can be confusing, and the Be Pure podcast wants to change that. We combine the rigor of health science with a holistic approach to help you find what restores your essential energy, making the complicated uncomplicated. We're going to help you get back to the basics, and we'll do it in a way that makes sense for you. Whether that means raw conversations with local favorites or scientific discussions with world-leading experts, the Beep Your Podcast will equip you with the knowledge, energy, and mindset to feel your best so that you can make the most out of your every day. Welcome to the Beep Your Podcast. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the power of nutrition for mental health with Dr. Julia Rutledge. Originally from Toronto, Canada, Dr. Julia Rutledge completed her PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Calgary. And in the year 2000, she immigrated to New Zealand, lucky us, where she is currently a professor of psychology and a clinical psychologist at the University of Canterbury. For over a decade, her lab has been running clinical trials investigating the role of broad-spectrum micronutrients in the treatment of mental illness, including ADHD, mood disorders, anxiety, and stress. Julia has been the recipient of many awards, has over 140 peer-reviewed publications, and her TEDx talk has been viewed almost 5 million times. Whew. Having witnessed current mutual treatments failing so many people, Julia is passionate about advocating that a good nutritional foundation is central to helping people prevent and recover from mental health challenges. Welcome, Dr. Julia Rutledge. It is an absolute honor to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be on with you guys and talk to the Be Pure audience. I'm stoked. So I think like every journey, it starts with a single step or a single idea. I'd love to know what got you into the space. Why psychology? Why nutrients? Yeah, sure. It's a good question and it takes me usually a long time to answer. We'll see how I go today. Um, good old day. So <laughs> you, you said in your introduction that I trained at University of Calgary in clinical psychology. And so that was in the mid-1990s and I um, did my PhD, which is part of being doing a clinical psychology degree in North America under the supervision of Bonnie Kaplan. And when I was doing my PhD on something completely different, which was um, on the expression of ADHD in women, actually, mm -hmm. I, my Bonnie was approached by some families from Southern Alberta, Canada, who said that they were treating mental health issues with nutrients. And so she, after some debate about whether or not she wanted to go down that route, she did, and she decided to do some clinical trials. And so when I was just finishing up my PhD, she was just getting started on look, having a look at this idea of using vitamins and minerals to treat um, bipolar disorder at that point. Mm -hmm. So um, it, I was intrigued. It was like, why is Bonnie doing this? Because my training had taught me that nutrition was pretty much irrelevant to the treatment of psychiatric disorders. Always told, mm -hmm. and I think this is pretty common in, in psychology as well as in medicine, is that, you, you know, as long as you're eating a healthy diet, then you there is no need to give additional nutrients, um, minerals and vitamins. It's expensive urine. It's not going to make a difference. Um, in particular, in the area of ADHD, stimulant medications was um, on the rise around its prescriptions and data coming out showing how, how effective it was in the short term for the treatment of ADHD. And so the concept of looking at nutrition was really on the downward spiral and viewed as just not relevant uh, as part of the overall treatment packages that people were being offered. And that's still, wow. that's still true today. If you see, uh, if you go into the public healthcare system, you might be, you'll be offered medications first, 
if you're lucky, you'll get offered psychotherapy, but there's the waiting lists are incredibly long. Um, and I don't know what else you might get offered, uh, but that's probably pretty much it. And so that's what we have right now as, as our guys as being seen as the gold standard of how you, we treat mental health issues in, in the country. But it's just, you know, I guess we'll get there, but it's not good enough. So she was doing these, so she started doing some preliminary trials. She published them in the early part of the century, showing people getting well and staying well with nutrients and having a reduction in their use of medications in terms of the doses of medications, which overall is a good thing because of the side effects that can often come with these psychiatric drugs. And so, um, I mean, I was doing other work and I was, you know, I was a trained as a clinical psychologist, not as somebody who uses nutrition. And, and so it didn't totally fit into my worldview, but then it wasn't long into becoming a clinical psychologist and going through all of that training and all of that registration and all of the exams that you kind of go, you know what, we're not helping enough people. And you just have mm -hmm. to look at the data. And I, I had my own data that I could look at, which was looking at just doing cross-sectional studies of kids and teenagers and adults with ADHD who were receiving the best treatment. And you'd look at them and you'd be like, but they still meet criteria for ADHD despite having these treatments. This can't, that can't be as good as it gets. I mean, mm -hmm. if I, if you, if it was a medical condition and I had an infection and if I was still infected after getting a drug, I'd be kind of disappointed and, and, and potentially even a bit grumpy with the medical service that I had received. But when it comes to mental health disorders, it seems that that's a, that's the norm for many people, not everybody. Some people do recover. Some people do get well. But not enough of people, and I think that's 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 um, displayed by the number of people who watch my TEDx talk. I mean, why do five million people watch that? It's because they're seeking out an alternative. They're looking. They've got. They're struggling. Their friends are struggling. Their family, their spouse, their kids, and they're seeking out alternatives. The thousands and thousands of emails. I mean, it's probably in the tens of thousands of emails that I've received over the last 10 years. I, I you know, it's, wow. it's countless. I had to create an, an, an other email account that <laughs> I pay somebody to reply to because I can't manage it. I can't handle the number of qu queries we get. Um, people are wanting to know more about the nutrients. And if, if the current model worked, they just wouldn't be going there. They'd mm -hmm. be fine. They wouldn't be seeking it out. So, and that, you know, when I do talks, I always ask how many people are doing, you know, responding to the current treatments. And it's always so few. And I appreciate that I get a select bias sample. Yeah. Um, but even when I've asked people who didn't want to come see me, but they just happened to have me as their presenter that day, they it's still a really low number of people who seem to benefit from our current approach. So when Bonnie published these data, I thought, why not? Uh, let's uh, let me let's look at this um, in New Zealand, and that was one of the probably in retrospect one of the most fortunate things was that I was in New Zealand uh, because she was at that point really struggling to do clinical trials in Canada. She was Health Canada was cracking down on the sale of, of supplements, and so I was located in the middle of the Pacific and could get a could really get a lot of movement and traction on doing clinical trials kind of under the radar of big pharma and awesome. uh, and regulations and stuff. So I, I managed to do a lot of research before, you know, the, Med the Ministry of Health kind of took notice and kind of figures, was like, what is she doing? <laughs> What's going on in that lab? And by then it was probably too late and that I had already published 
uh, quite a few randomized controlled trials at that stage. So does that answer your question? It does massively. And I think it's it's curious that there was a roadblock there for Bonnie mm-hmm. to get that across the line. I mean, it's nutrients. Do you know yes. what I mean? How, how wrong can you go? You're not talking about an extreme therapy that's foreign yeah. to the human system or going to massively yep. throw the body out of balance. You're talking about a broad spectrum approach to nutrification for the body to help it feel better on a whole host of levels. So. Cool. That's right. But the those barriers have existed here as well. It's not I've I haven't been immune to it. I've had a lot of pushback, a lot of challenges over the years around how to do to get this work done. Um, from ethics committees saying, No, you can't possibly give nutrients, it's too risky. Um, wow. you're gonna harm people. How do you know? You know, you're giving them at such you know, technically high doses. Um and so the, I had a lot of challenge, challenges in terms of getting it cleared through ethics um, in the in the in the first uh, study that I I ran in 2008 or tried to get going in 2008. Uh, people wouldn't refer um, to the studies. Like psychiatrists would see this as being unethical. Uh, if somebody wanted to take nutrients, then they possibly couldn't consent properly because if they had um, if they uh, were competent to consent, then they would never think about using nutrients to treat serious mental health problems. So, which again is hopefully kind of strikes you as being really that's yeah, I've had that happen to me. Yep. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that you, if you choose to, to say no to psychiatric medications, then some psychiatrists would see that as being evidence of, of incompetency of not being competent to be able to consent. So that doesn't happen as much now, but that was definitely in the early days. Again, because it was seen as so foreign, it didn't fit into the medical medical model. Um, Well, I think it does, but they didn't understand it. And so when things don't, when Mm -hmm. things don't make sense or people don't understand them, they offer kind of, they often just put up a barrier and, and don't engage. So, um, I journal, you know, publishing it was hard work, rejections after rejections, getting grants has been difficult. Uh, doing the work unfunded by the industry has been an important part of, of, of getting credibility, but it means that people don't believe you when you say you don't get any money from industry. And so I've had OIAs on my work and it just, it's an endless um, litany of problems. Mm. Is it improving yeah. though? Is there a space where people are starting uh, to see I- the light? Uh, at the moment, it's I'm in a calm zone, and um, that I'm not fighting <laughs> fighting things off. Sometimes it's it's like every week there's something new. At the moment, we're in a good place, but that doesn't mean it can't suddenly change. Because I used to think I was in a good place, and then that I, I initially I wouldn't let students do this research because it was so controversial, it was so difficult, the abuse was so horrendous. Mm. Um, and then after a few years of publishing some work, then I, I started to allow students to, to do some studies on this. Um, and then I thought we were in a good place. And then and then I had a whole bunch of battles with the Ministry of Health and with MedSafe. Um, that was back a few years ago now, 2018. It was around the t- 2017, around the time when there was the legislation to regulate natural health products under the Natural, he- natural Health Products Bill mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't very popular. And so at that point, um, I had problems with the Ministry of Health because we were running trials and and the nutrients weren't and, and finding therapeutic benefit 
in the sense that we were treating ADHD and people were getting well with ADHD. And I was allowed, and I, I'm allowed to say that nutrients treat ADHD. Be Pure isn't allowed to say that as a company. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to make any therapeutic claims, even if it is, even if a product is therapeutic. And that's because of the legislation. And the that the legislation says that therapeutic claims are reserved for medicines only. And so I was here I was showing this. I'm an academic. I don't sell the product, so I'm allowed to say it, but the companies aren't allowed to say it. It's just such a silly, ridiculous system that we are operate under that you're probably familiar with this. And oh, um yeah. So um, I had to register the the supplements as a medicine. And so now we study them and they are registered under MedSafe as a medicine for research purposes only. Awesome. Well, that, then that's yeah. a step forward, you know, definitely in one direction. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah. I think it, it it's, I mean, it means that it's more restrictive and it's harder for people to get hold of them because of that, the grayness in the legislation. So that means you can't just go and buy them in a supermarket, but then they do interact with drugs. And so there's, there is that as a real risk um, that if you're taking a psychiatric medication and you add in nutrients at the doses that we've been giving them, then you can end up with a potentiation of the drug. So mm-hmm. people will often blame the supplement. And I'm like, well, actually, if the drug wasn't there, you wouldn't have a problem. Um, it's, the, it's the presence of the drug that makes it more difficult uh, to take supplements. So that's something that I think people aren't so aware of. And it's often, mm. it's certainly something that prescribers may not touch on when they prescribe medications. And so that's one of the really ch- challenging parts of the work is that so many, you know, 20% of the New Zealand adult population is taking an antidepressant. And so mm-hmm. that that covers a lot of people who approach Massively. me. And so I, I often have to write letters, you know, emails back to people and just say, you're, you know, they'll, they'll say I'm on sertraline or fluoxetine or ocrotiapine, a whole bunch of different combinations of medications. And I, I, you know, they want to take the micronutrients. And I, the first line I say is you need, you need to be aware that this could be problem problematic and you need to talk to your prescriber about it. And it's a serious problem and a serious issue. And it's not the kind of news they wanted to hear because they, you know, they probably thought, oh, you could just add in supplements and I can continue to take these drugs. Well, no, because biochemically, you're changing the system. You're changing mm-hmm. the system. You're adding nutrients in that we know can, you know, they 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 support the manufacture of neurotransmitters like serotonin. And so, if you're taking an SSRI, then um, that also affects the serotonergic system. So, you as soon as you realize that, you start to understand the biochemistry. You kind of go, actually, that makes sense. That makes sense. You can't. You. It's like taking St. John's work alongside an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. We know that's a bad idea. Similar. Yeah, I think there are a lot of um, things out there in the market people go looking for to try and help them improve yeah. their mental well-being because they kind of get to, I guess, what they're given from the medical community and go, this is not enough. What's the next yeah, level? it's not working enough. But yeah. there's a real barrier, like you say, between the prescriber saying, hey, let's swap out this medication for some nutrients and see if you feel better on that instead. But in the meantime, because it's not the recommendation and someone like yourself, even in your position, has to come back to them and say, hey, just a warning that could interact and you might have to wean off that to go on to mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. They then go out into yeah. the market and look for their own supply, which yeah. has its own consequences. Yeah. So I think the yeah. the triad that we're playing around with is it doesn't serve the individual. And that's the goal, right? Help the people yeah. to feel better, exactly. have the energy, you know? But the legis- it, it's just that the laws are in favor of the pharmaceutical industry. And it's, you know, that's the honest 
balanced, I think, perspective. I think that's a fair perspective. And and so that the supplement industry, um, you know, there, there are people selling supplements out there that probably don't do anything. I mean, that that's unfortunate and that happens. Um, and that's part of the big system. But there mm-hmm. are a lot of companies that make really, really good products. And so they, you know, that but they're kind of in this bind that they can't, they can't say anything about what they're other than supports, you know, these vague kind of things that supports brain health or, or I don't know, improves immunity. I don't even know if you're allowed to say that. You probably have a better idea of what you can put on a label or not. But it's, yeah, it's honestly really frustrating with being able to read research like yours and know how powerful these things can be, but to be able to say it may support or exactly uh, like sort of you're making really vague inferences that something might Mm -hmm. do something yeah but that's because of the law and i and that Mm. and the legislation and so the consumer needs to understand that it's not that the the supplement industry is trying to be vague it's just that they are Mm. not unless they register their 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 product as a medicine they cannot put that on the label and so you've got to be a you've got to be a very astute consumer so then you you've got to you know you can read my book, The Better Brain, and you can find out what supplements have been studied for the treatment of mental health disorders, and we name them in there. But I'm only allowed to do that because I'm in, I'm I'm not I'm not a supplement industry. I'm not part of the companies. I'm not selling it or involved in any way. So I can do that. So the astute consumer would read that and then go, okay, then I know which one to go and get. But without that, it's really hard to navigate. Mm, it's requiring so, the uh, person who's struggling to be the researcher, the learner, the investigator in their own self. Exactly. Mm, exactly. Yeah. It's very really challenging. Mm. So in terms of, I guess, nutrients to give people a gauge of how much is what you're actually recommending, we know over mm. the counter in a New Zealand product, for example, with B12, we can only put in 50 micrograms tops. Yeah. What would that be comparatively <laughs> to what you're recommending for these people you're helping? Oh my goodness. I think, I think, I haven't looked at it recently, but I think it's probably about 6,000 high, times higher than the, over the, uh, the recommend, the allowed on B12 and the allowance on B12, we all know is, is absurd. <laughs> it's absurd because it's a water soluble nutrient. So there's no, there's no U upper limit. There's no toxicity associated with B12. Mm-hmm. And so that low, that ridiculously low limit is so out of date. And I, and I understand that the ministry health knows that it's out of date and, but I don't know, it just seems virtually impossible to update the dietary regulations. So, I mean, they're attempting to do it right now. Again, we'll I see. hope so. Because, I mean, it's different yeah. overseas as well. I mean, looking, exactly. looking with the That's Australian right. market, you're looking at much yeah. higher dosages than the sort of exactly. three or four hundred. I know, and so it doesn't – been think done. It, yeah, exactly. And you, you'd think even their regulations, you think at least in the interim, let's change that. But they, I don't know why they don't. I, I, I guess they send an all or nothing kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not privy to that. those kinds of discussions. See, they're all or nothing. We're all in or we're all out. Not sure yet. Mm. That's good. So in terms of, I guess, um, nutrients in particular, I know you generally recommend a broad spectrum, but are there particular mm-hmm. nutrients of interest within that broad spectrum you think are more effective than others? Um, well, I can't say that because I've never, well, I've done, I have done a few studies that's, uh, with vitamin D. I did one study with vitamin D as a comparator and it wasn't as good as the broad spectrum. I did a study, uh, well, one of my students did a study uh, with B6 and actually B6 was pretty good. It was for the targeting um, of PMS. 
symptoms mm-hmm. and actually was almost as as effective as the broad spectrum on, in that study. Uh, if you the more severe it the broad spectrum tended to be better than the B6, but then B6 has been shown to be really useful for the treatment of PMS on its own. So there are some exceptions, but overall, um, most of my research is on the broad spectrum. Actually, again, again, I kind of go, no, actually, that's not entirely true. I've done B B complex. uh, and and that's really useful for the studies uh, for reduction of stress. But again, the broad spectrum does seem to outperform mm-hmm. the the B complex in general in the studies that I've been doing. So so it makes me conclude that I don't I personally don't go around recommending a single nutrient because if you're deficient in one nutrient, you're very very likely to be deficient in another, mm-hmm. and. You're going to know about this better than I do because I don't do individual testing and that might be something that you're involved in and I'd be interested in knowing how you do that. But my understanding is it's hard to measure some nutrients. It's hard to know whether or not you're adequate or normal or deficient or optimal or and and that um, some of the I mean, certainly the standard blood tests are you may end up probably looking average and normal, but that may not be sufficient for you and that you may be deficient relative to your own needs and because Mm. we're all different. And my needs, if I'm under an incredible amount of stress, then my nutritional needs are higher than someone who is cool as a cucumber and has no, you know, deadlines on them. So my nutritional needs are then, I need more nutrients to deal with the fact that I'm under more chronic stress. Or if I'm experiencing, um, is if I'm ill, if I'm sick, my nutritional needs are higher. Or if I'm a smoker, um, then your nutritional needs are higher. Um, if I'm older, my nutritional needs are higher. If I'm pregnant, if I'm a teenager. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why I, my nutritional needs might be different from the average population, which is what you're always compared to when you get a blood test done. So I guess I'm I, I've come to the conclusion, I think it's a pretty good place to kind of sort of sit, is that this idea we've we've that we've been sold around single nutrients stems uh, that you you need to find that single nutrient magic bullet i think stems partially from the pharmaceutical model which is one mm-hmm. molecule to change uh, um biology and chemistry uh there's i think that influences the way we think about treatments Mm -hmm. and we so we like to manipulate one thing at a time but there's also been some historically some stories where a single nutrient has been Mm -hmm. had a remarkable effect like vitamin c for scurvy so there that does sort of propagate this idea that we need to just we'll just find that single nutrient that treats bipolar or treats depression or adhd but overall, those studies are so modest and weak and not weak in terms of design necessarily, but just really, really small to no effects that it, you can't help but come to the conclusion that that might have been, we might have been going down the wrong avenue in, in the scientific approach by studying those single nutrients uh, without the combination. And when you just engage with the biology and, the, and just how, how we use nutrients, our body doesn't use nutrients by themselves like as a single they it works always in combination if you if you look at the krebs cycle and you look at the manufacture of atp you see that a whole bunch of different nutrients are required if you look at the manufacture of serotonin or dopamine or noradrenaline or gaba you see that whole array of different single nutrients are required mm-hmm. 
uh, if you look at the methylation cycle, you know that there's different nutrients, not just one special nutrient that's required. So on and on it goes that you it's it seems worthwhile coming to the conclusion that we evolved to use the full array of nutrients best out of your diet. And that's why we don't just, you know, if you eat just rice, then you're probably develop a deficiency. And so it's why we we need to eat a variety of different foods and um, because they're each going to give us, provide us with different combinations of nutrients and that no one nutrient is going to adequately cover it for the most part with a few exceptions. Totally. I think you've kind of covered off how we, we learn as well. Like um, when we're younger, we learn you know, A plus B equals C. And that's kind of mm-hmm. how science studies things a lot yeah. of the time to try and get to the crux of the mechanism. But the reality is, as humans aren't mechanisms, we're an organism yeah. of a multiple of pathways that interacts with the world around us, which is complex if you try and put that into a study. And I think exactly. nutrition is no exception to the rule when it comes to with your food, you get a whole bunch of nutrients that often work as cofactors and synergists with each other. But you also get with that plant compounds and you get your yeah your soluble fibers and your insoluble fibers and your prebiotics and all those other things that are really beneficial for how we utilize nutrients and how we foster well-being from what we eat. Exactly. Uh, and so I and I, I, I certainly agree with you. And it also just underpins the importance of eating, trying to get your nutrients out of food first rather than supplementation. And my I always say that my research is just proof of principle that there aren't enough adequate that people's diets are not adequately giving them the nutrients they need. And that in those cases, they might need supplementation. But it also says we should seriously look at the diet because and once you start delving into the whole diet side of our lives, you realize that there's a mismatch between our food environment and our brain's needs. And that needs to be addressed in the first instance before we start supplementing the entire population. Definitely. hundred percent agree. And I think it's interesting um, how many different ideas there are around what is good nutrition in terms of yeah, their concepts right. around. <laughs> there are. Yeah. What we kind of see as being the standardized, I guess, westernized recommendation from the food pyramid. And then you've got kind of more of the processed spectrum, which is a step behind that one, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. And then Mm -hmm. there's sort of more and more whole foods and, you know, do we go paleo? Is there vegan? Do we like have more plants, less plants, Mm -hmm. more meat, less meat? It's Mm -hmm. a a really confusing world for so many people out there. Yeah. so what are some of the key things, I guess, from a dietary point of view, have you seen come through with the participants that you've been helping? Are there sure. any trends? Well, if you mean, our, our, if we're looking at their diet, we yeah. don't. So we, we we do ask about diet, but that's only in order to um, be assured that the diets of different groups that they're randomized to are equivalent. Right. It's very hard. I mean, you, you know better than I do that it's better, very, very hard to capture what people eat and what their dietary pattern is. Um, but we do our best around, you know, serves of fruits and vegetables and whether they're, you know, eating protein and, you know, just some basic questions around getting a sense of their dietary intake. How much, you know, processed, ultra processed foods do they eat or sweets or cakes and stuff? So at least we can be fairly confident there's equivalence on diet across the groups, but um, we don't look at it in terms of whether or not they're coming in with any deficiencies. Mm-hmm. We've looked at it um, based on their diet. We've looked at deficiencies based on blood levels, but mm-hmm. that doesn't really inform us 
um, as I was saying earlier, that are the these people are all has everybody who comes into one of my clinical trials has got a mental health problem, and so that means that they're not your average healthy person, and yet they do their blood levels are typically normal, uh, based on reference ranges that you get out of the labs, and so that isn't informative. It's I'm not a big fan of the the blood levels is being used to inform treatment because mm. most people we've treated are normal in their blood levels. Now, granted, we haven't done every single nutrient level. And so maybe if we we broaden that out, you'd spend a, a hell of a lot of money doing that. And I don't know what we would gain from that, but I would, you know, I was curious yeah. about that one. But those were typical ones that you do if you went to see your GP. They're all mostly normal, except for vitamin D. Vitamin D is one that we tend to see that is deficient for many people. Um, and so it's not predictive then of a response mm. because we have people who are totally nor- normal in their nutrient levels and then they respond to the nutrients. So that tells me that the nutrient levels have really very, very limited in terms of informing us around whether we should use them or not as mm. an indicator of treatment. So... Um, I say this because a lot of people say to me, I'm normal, so my doctor has said not to take any nutrients, and I would say, that doesn't mean anything, really, that you're normal. You're only normal relative to the, you know, the other people who have taken a blood test, but you're, it doesn't mean that that's normal for you. We don't know that. So um, it's worth a try. It's worth giving it a go. I think, is that normal? Do you know what I mean? Like, has the standard of health depleted exactly. so much that our new normal is not normal anymore? I know, to... exactly. I know, oh, and that, it, in fact, everybody is abnormal. <laughs> but that wouldn't yeah. look very good, would it? <laughs> so. I always find it interesting when we do blood labs for B12 and B9 in particular, and on the B12 forms, it will say, if you know levels are normal or high, do not rule out B12 deficiency. And you're like, uh-huh. why are we doing this, Marco? Is this actually a good evaluation of B12 status, or should we be doing it a different way? Yeah, um, I don't know. Think- it's always really eye-opening to see that um, in terms of the medical community know that, but then it's used to gauge whether you need B12 injections or supplementation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like you've already told me the market is not totally 100% accurate. Is there something mm. else we could do in between? So in terms of, I guess, uh, going back to like the dietary intake, what are the challenges mm. you see with the, I guess, the standardized American diet or the Western diet at the moment and how that really impacts our mental health and well-being? So there's um, over 10 years of research now that is showing that there's an association and also that we know pretty confidently um, that there's a causal effect between what you eat and your mental health. So the original studies started looking at whether or not people who ate a diet consistent with a Western diet, um, that is your high in your sugary drinks and uh, your ultra processed products. Uh, your takeaways low in your fruits and vegetables, that people who are eating a diet consistent with that have more mental health problems. And then conversely, that if you're eating a Mediterranean style diet, that that seems to be protective and that there's lower rates of mental illness in those people. But also prospectively, that what I eat today um, will predict um, how I feel two years, five years down the road. And so those studies also confirm that the Mediterranean diet is protective over time and that mm. the Western diet increases your chances of developing a mental health problem down the road. And then there's randomized control trials now that have shown that, I mean, and some of the randomized tr- trials actually were done um, in the 1980s on kids with ADHD where they took out the food colors and the food um, 
the food um, uh, uh, flavors and preservatives and showed that kids that that had an effect on reducing the symptoms associated with ADHD. And there were quite a few, quite a number of studies over several decades confirming that um, was helpful for some kids with ADHD, although not all. But then more recently, there's been studies on depression where if you change the diet towards a Mediterranean style diet from the standard American diet, that that can help improve the depression of people who enter the studies with depression. So, mm-hmm. and then those studies have been replicated. So we are pretty confident that if you pull that all together, you have a pretty robust picture that our mm-hmm. diet does impact our mental health. And I don't think anybody could argue it otherwise these days because it's so, it's so, re- it's replicated Um and it's so consistent. The this the study the message is so consistent across the different studies and also across different countries. Um, so, uh, but that does I do actually something I did want to say is that it you know the there you were ind- indicating that the messaging out there is really confusing and what should I do should I you know eat paleo or keto or vegan or vegetarian or all of that. I think the the best and easiest message to get out there is to reduce your intake of ultra-processed products. Given that about over 50% of calories these days are coming from ultra-processed products, and that's data from, I don't know if anyone's done that in New Zealand, but I know they've done that in Australia, they've done that in in Canada, they've done that in the US, from the UK. So there's data from different countries that show that people are getting at least half their nutrients from ultra processed products that in itself tells us that's where we start mm-hmm. we need to be shifting the population away from eating ultra processed products because they're nutrient depleted there's very low on those minerals and vitamins that we have found in our research to be so important so um so that's uh you know so and that's something that i've only really um sunk in over the last couple of years when i wrote the better brain and mm-hmm. um was delving into well what are people eating on a population level and going mm-hmm. really oh my god i thought people were eating a healthy diet that's what you keep getting told everyone's eating a healthy diet and you're like well no they're not mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not 69% of products in new zealand sold in new zealand supermarkets are ultra processed so that gives you a sense of that that's what people are eating and um, and so the easy message is just reduce your intake of ultra processed products, reduce your intake of those energy drinks, those soft drinks, they do nothing, they give you nothing, there's no nutrients in them. Avoid anything that's called, you know, that says it's low in sugar, low in fat, that just identifies food that you really shouldn't be eating. Um Stick with what your grandmother would recognize as food. That's a good place to start. Real whole foods, mm-hmm. and um, and and you know that's your nuts, your seeds, your legumes, your your um, uh, fruit, your high in your fruits and vegetables, um, your proteins. A little bit of meat has been shown to be good for mental health. Uh, fish is really important. Your omega three fatty acids mm-hmm. and getting them adequately from a fish source. It's very hard to get DHA and EPA from a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, And so Mm -hmm. you need to be mindful of that if you go down that route. So I wouldn't say, I personally would not be saying to people go plant-based entirely because you you risk... uh, getting nutritional deficiencies, you, it's very hard to get, as I EPA and DHA from a vegan, vegetarian vegan diet, very hard to get um, adequate amounts of iron, um, uh, bioavailable iron, hard to get B12, choline. I'm sure you know of others that you could mention too that are difficult to get out of that diet. And it's not to say, I'm not here to say, don't be vegan or vegetarian. People who are vegan and vegetarian and are really healthy, fantastic. 
great. Mm-hmm. That diet is working for you, but don't mm-hmm. th- don't suggest that that's going to be the best diet for everybody. And that's being worry. conscious, right? That everyone is biochemically unique, and what works yeah. for you isn't going to work for the person next to you, regardless of the fact that they exactly. might be your age, stage, and similar sort of challenges. Mm-hmm. Just completely exactly. different. And I think it's um, also on that note of if you choose to like go more plant-based, it's just being aware, I think, if that's what you want to do ethically or yes. for other reasons. It's mm. being aware that that could be a challenge and you probably will need to top up yeah. with those key things that aren't naturally provided. But Yeah, but I also do want to say, though, I just get a, just to push back a little bit on the ethical, yeah. is to just be mindful that it's not always ethical to go mm. that way. Is that, And we do need to be, you know, I think one of the things that the vegan um, plant-based uh, movement has done which is really, really wonderful, is to highlight the poor treatment of animals and some of the intensive agriculture and the uh, you know some of the conditions in which animals are being raised and slaughtered, and that is 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 essential that we need to be aware of that and be mindful of it and to ensure that we are eating um, meat that is um, ethical that has been ethically grown and slaughtered. So, but that can be done. And, but to also recognize that being vegetarian or vegan doesn't mean that there aren't animals that are dying or you're not having a, that glyphosate that's used on, on crops doesn't have an effect on the bee population or on insects mm-hmm. or on birds. And so they might not be that you've got this cow that's dead in front of you but that doesn't mean that there wasn't death that happened in the in the cultivation of soy or corn or other plants so i just i just kind of i get a little bit sensitive on that one because i think we always associate animal eaters as being unethical and Mm. and plant eaters as being ethical and you just i just want to to just make sure that the audience is thinks about the big picture no, I, I totally agree with you. I say ethical from maybe more like a belief system, like what you think is right for you. Yeah. And um, I always really believe in um, educating people, but letting them make their own choice and feeling mm-hmm. like they're empowered on what decisions they are making, um, whether, you know, that is um, quote unquote right or, right or wrong mm-hmm. based on what you believe yourself. I think there's a, a yeah. real value to self journeys and um, self learning based on what you see. I mean, having been vegan myself very early on in my youth and seeing like mm-hmm. this is not for me. This does not help my mental health or my well being. Mm-hmm. I need to shift mm-hmm. this back towards eating more broadly and including everything that nature made. But that mm-hmm. was my journey, and I think that for me was a powerful stake in the ground mm-hmm. for being like, no, nah, actually, I need to sort of in- include as much abundance as possible if it comes to my health and well being for me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So I'm just I'm just mindful, particularly because it's been there's such a lot of of attention at the moment on plant being plant based, and it being not only it's been sh- it's said to be ethical, it's also mm-hmm. that it's the best thing you can do for the climate. And there's yeah. you know that's a complex issue, and also that um, what else was I going to say on that? Oh, the, at the end of the day, though, what worries me the most is that ultra processed products are going to win with the plant based movement. Mm, that is true. That yeah. is very true. Yeah. So they are, they're going to be, they embrace it. Of course, they can just put plant-based on their ultra processed product. Sure. Yes. Okay. It is plant-based. Doesn't mean you should eat it. Mm, totally. I love the idea when I'm talking to clients and clinical practice around what actually food is and the fact that food is mm. a 
nutritious substance that aids human life and health. Exactly. You know, like yep. if someone's processed it and had to add the B12 back in or the B vitamins back in or the iodine back in, is it still a whole food and it is it nutritious or actually is it food or is it non-food yeah. that you can consume? And the food's the stuff that doesn't have a label, doesn't have a, you know, um, nutrient panel on it that tells you what's actually in it. You're like, it just came from the environment. I love yeah. also encouraging clients to shop around the supermarket with the idea of get more bang for your buck. And that's not a like buy as much food as you can for the dollar value. Buy as much nutrition as you can for the dollar value. Exactly. In a different equation. And it yeah. really shifts the story around what you're putting in your basket, I think. Exactly. I, yeah. No, that's a good way to think about it, Lisa. So with that in mind, what are the, um, I guess, three things that you would leave our um, listeners with today as key tips to help improve their mental health and well-being? Sure. I mean, I, I would hate to just limit it to food, <laughs> even though that's been our conversation, is that we know that there's so many other contributing factors to our mental health that include other lifestyle factors as well. So making sure that you, um, you know, your simple things around exercise and being mindful of not getting too stressed, learning mindfulness would probably be a good place to also go forward. Um, there's a lot of research that's opening up in all kinds of different areas, like um, cold water swimming is something I've you know, there's growing research in that over the last five years and it's been therapeutic and helpful for people struggling with mental health um, problems. So that's, you know, or saunas can be therapeutic for some people or um, the urban space that you're in, if there's plants that are around or to have a, you know, even having the view outside of having, you know, trees that you see, all of that is being viewed as therapeutic and good for your well-being. Mm -hmm. um, having adequate, um, you know, just in your, your, you know, just your immediate environment of having green spaces, blue spaces, um, interesting architecture, they're all known to be good for your well-being. So, um, but when it comes to your nutrition, then I think I've already said it. I think that it's the, just don't make it complicated, eat more real food and reduce your intake of ultra processed products. Um, that would be, you know, I'm just, I'm guessing that your listeners are probably already know that. <laughs> so, um, it, so if you have done that and that's not sufficient, that's when you can delve into other, uh, other, um, dietary, um, had, uh, dietary ideas like around going keto because there's some growing evidence on that, but not massively yet in the mental health space. So mm -hmm. that's why I can't say that as sort of a number one, but I know, I certainly know people who say that's helped them. Mm -hmm. Um, then you can go towards elimination because for some people, some foods do trigger, um, allergies or, or inflammation. So, and that could even be, you know, foods that we see as being healthy foods, like your tomatoes. For some people, mm -hmm. that might be a problem. So looking at maybe some, some of those potential allergens. Um, you could try, I mean, it, it could be for some people, meat isn't good for your biology. And so eliminating meat for some people may be the way forward or adding it in, if that's something that you have, as you were describing, as something you saw as being important for your, your well-being. Um, and so that would be the second thing would be looking at the specialty diets. And then if the, those approaches don't work, that's when I would recommend looking at the supplement research and, and trying formulas that have research to back them. Yeah. 
And so doing that with the guidance of somebody as well, because sometimes it can be confusing sure. as to like, very what's confusing. working and not working, um, yeah. especially around the, I guess, the the supplements in particular in terms of your mm. top-ups, but also around dietary interventions. I don't know how many clients I've seen through our clinic that have put themselves on a protocol um, yeah. or something very strict, and then they've been doing it for the last year, hoping for a different result, and then coming to us going, I'm not making any progress. You're like, okay. Maybe a different approach is required. Let's do some testing, have a look at where you're at, and then make a tailorized approach for you based on what you what you need, yep. what your body shows us in mm-hmm. conjunction yep. with your symptoms and what you're kind of battling with. So thank you so much for today. I um, feel really sad to let go of you, but I realize we have had a large chat for the last little while. Um, so I'm going to finish off with a bit of gratitude for you and for the work that you're doing. This is a space that needs what you were doing. So thank you for pushing through all the trials and tributes that you have faced. And I'm sure there'll be, hopefully, hopefully, hoping there aren't more, but there will be more along the way. But just thank you for what you're doing, because this is a space that really needs what you're doing. Thank you. And giving me airtime so that I can tell more people about it. <laughs> so oh. that's always Our good. pleasure. Yeah. Happy to have you back again and again, if it means more help from people. Sure. Thanks for having me.